Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Welcome to this week's Mac Report Podcast. I'm Mike McMahon with Ian Boucher. And Ian, how you doing tonight? Oh, not too bad, Mike. Uh, apologies for the roughness over here. If uh, things sound a little grizzled at the moment, battling through a little bit of a cold, but obviously having a midweek game yesterday doesn't uh, doesn't exactly help the process. But, you know, we battle on, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, you can't lose the voice. That's like, that's the bread and butter right there, so... <laughs> well, luckily, luckily, I guess for me, right, the, the next week I don't I don't have any games until uh, till Black Friday when we're when uh, when Army comes in. So there I got go. nothing till then. So <laughs> I can lose my enjoy voice. the break. I, I can lose my voice. I just can't get like cramps in my fingers. And then then I'm good. Can't write. That's a problem. But <laughs> that, that slows you down. <laughs> it does big time. It's happened before too. Sometimes in some of those rinks where it gets cold, oh boy, like you can't even can't feel your hands. I'm like, this is no fun. It's no fun writing in like freezing cold buildings. <laughs> so funny story, real quick before we get into everything here. Last night, standing in the uh, scores box in between the overtime period and the shootout. Spoiler alert for those people that are listening in. Merrimack and Lowell went to a shootout on Wednesday night. Um, but I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, my right leg just randomly starts like shaking uncontrollably and i'm wondering if it was just because you know it, it was it, you know how cold it gets in the building and never yeah. mind me being right down on the ice it's 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 even worse the first thing to go is your toes and then once they go forget about it you're you're uh you're you're looking back downstream and uh you don't have a paddle in your hand <laughs> you still have a heater under there oh yeah i still have my uh my little space heater there you go. Uh, but you know sometimes sometimes it doesn't always do the job might have to invest in a second one i don't know if i can find that in the budget <laughs> i've been doing the scoreboard at, uh, <clears throat> at my son's games he volunteered me they needed somebody to do the, to work the board and he was like oh my dad will do it i said thanks ty i appreciate it and uh, yeah it's somebody <laughs> like it's cold like way colder than i thought right because you're, you're right on top of the ice like i sit in the booth the first time this is in september like it's still like 90 degrees out and I yeah. show up the next week, I have boots on. Chris is like, why are you wearing your boots? I'm like, because it's freezing in there. Like, I can't feel my feet by the time the game's It's going. cold. It's a hockey rank. Yeah. yeah. People people always complain when they come into work. It's like, yeah, it's cold in here. Yeah, it's a hockey rink. There's <laughs> a big sheet of ice on the ground. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking there's a, of... There's a big slab that's currently set to 16. <laughs> yeah, is, is it really? Is that what it's set at? Yeah, usually you want, you want to keep it anywhere between 12 and 16 degrees. But enough of us. Yeah. We'll get an ice talk later if anybody's interested. I'm fascinated by ice and what makes it good and bad ice and everything else and like the kind of the, the behind the scenes intricacies of ice has always fascinated me. 
Might have to do a spin-off. We could do a spin-off episode. We'll do a special episode, maybe during the holiday break. Uh, an ice special. Yeah, good time. Uh, <laughs> Merrimack and Lowell uh, played uh, their first game of their series last night. Obviously, got split up. They're going to do the second game on Saturday at the Saga Center. Merrimack basketball played Ohio State. We're going to talk about all of that. Uh, Scott Bork comes coming up in a little bit. He's going to talk to us about some of the recruits that recently signed their NLIs. So a lot to pack into this episode, but let's start first with the Merrimack and Lowell game from Wednesday. Uh, and Ian, it was a interesting game. You know, I, I wonder if you saw the same thing I saw, because I said this to somebody earlier today. The first half of the game, Lowell had more possession, for sure, and, and it resulted in them having more shots. But... With the uh, amount of, with the pressure that Merrimack was generating on a transition, it almost felt like they had the better of the chances, even though that they didn't have as many of them. Like their their chances were of better quality than Lowell's, even though Lowell had the puck more. Yeah, definitely, Mike. In terms of the whole quantity over quality thing, Lowell definitely outchanced the Warriors through two periods. I mean, they outshot them fourteen to nine, um, so it wasn't a big discrepancy. Uh, but at the same time, I'm able to see that second period a whole lot better because I'm not looking through the Merrimack bench like I am when the Warriors are defending, you know, their home net in the first and third periods. So Wool definitely controlled the puck more. I thought it was a little bit similar to what we saw for Maine, not to as crazy of an extent what the Black Bears did when they came in here, but Lowell did possess the puck. They had some great A opportunities, but, I mean, Zach Borgil played a fantastic game last night for long stretches of that game, and I think that's part of the reason why Merrimack was able to come out of it with any points of it, uh, of any points at all. Excuse me. Yeah, and he—he's I mean, like, been getting two games in a row, and it was interesting that they kind of broke the broke the goalie rotation. I was curious why, uh, and then found out later on it was because they were both sick and, and Zach was the one that was able to practice on Tuesday. So it did make sense. It was just curious. I was like, Hmm, interesting. Like this, is, this is the week that they've ch- chosen to break the rotation. I wasn't quite sure why there, I guess, cause I thought, you know, Hugo played well on Friday at UConn. So it didn't make a ton of sense that, you know, you got to make that move uh, for, for Wednesday's game. Obviously it, if only one guy practiced during the week, then it makes that decision a little bit easier. Uh, but you brought up in kind of our, our pre-show discussion about the goalies, what do you think he wants to do? Like, if if Scott Borick had his way, do you think he would like to settle on one guy, or do you think he's comfortable going forward with the two rotating the way they did a year ago? I mean, it, in layman's terms, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? But at the same time, That's we, what also I think. Heard, yeah. we also heard from Scott at different times early on this season slash you know you heard from him over the summer it was more so yeah we'll continue to rotate between the two guys but if for some reason one guy or the other gets hot I'm not going to be afraid to ride the hot hand and I think that's still got Scott and his staff really asking some questions about where this goaltending situation is because I mean if you look at their numbers through Seven games now for Zach and what I assume will be six games on Saturday if Hugo was, you know, feeling better and, you know, no longer under the weather and he gets the nod. Um, Zach's played, appeared in seven games. He started in six. He has a 2-3-1 record, 13 goals allowed, 9.23 save percentage, and a 2-2-5 goals against average. Hugo in five games, 
four starts, and again, that goes back to the exhibition game against Holy Cross where they both came in and saw time in that game. And then also um, Hugo came on in relief a couple weekends ago in that Saturday night game against Maine. Uh, Hugo threw five starts or four game, uh, four starts, five games, two and two record overall, 10 goals, nine, 10 save percentage and a two thirty six goals against average. So the numbers would indicate that if you were going to try and go somewhere with your goaltender, obviously if last night's game, the Warriors get a win in last night, Zach is looking at three and three instead of two, three and one. So that's, you know, a, a small issue to look at if you're coach Bork, but I mean, I, if it's not broke, Mike, you're not going to continue to change it if both goaltenders are coming out and giving you their very best each and every night, especially if they know they only have one, you know, one appearance each to make. Exactly. And, and I like they did it last year. I mean, they rotated last year all the way through the playoffs. I don't see why you can't do that again if they're both playing well. Like, I, I get it. Under most circumstances, there's always been this rule that, oh, a team rides one goalie. And if one goalie, look, if one of these guys gets really hot, I think that they will ride them for a while. But. Just because it's never been done before doesn't mean that it's wrong. You know, it's the same like the argument with the Bruins with Swayman and Allmark and, oh, you've got to trade yeah. one of them. Why? Why do you have to trade one of them? Do you have holes you could fill by trading one of those guys? Sure, but like, you know, this idea that, oh, no one's ever no one's ever swapped goalies in the playoffs before. Okay. And I mean, does that mean you can't do it? Like, is there a rule against it? <laughs> we, I think most people agree that it's. Arguably the most important position on the ice. So why would you want to just go ahead with one guy? Even in, in obviously Merrimack's case, you're not going to trade one of these guys. You're not going to do that in, co- in the college yeah. game. But like, I, if they're both playing well, I don't see why it's an issue if they both keep playing. Like, I don't think you need to settle on one of them. But like you said, if if one of them starts to play out of their minds and has a stretch where you know someone's got a shutout streak going for multiple games, the way Olas did, I think uh, two years ago. Uh, then, then yeah, ride that as much as you want. Like, ride the hot streaks. You can still do that. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to the end of March or the middle of March when the, the regular season ends, and these guys have pretty much played about the same number of minutes. Yeah. And, I mean, you, you brought it up just a couple seconds ago, right? I mean, it may, sure, at the NHL level, the Bruins have two goaltenders, right? You can trade one away. You can get assets. You can Especially if you they have accrue, a need. You can accrue picks if you have the need. Exactly. What are you going to do, put Zachary Borgiel or Hugo Olas in the transfer portal <laughs> just to get one of them out of there? And Yeah, no. Like, yeah. You're not going to do that. You have two goaltenders. They both play well. They both have, you know, kept you in a couple more of these games probably, right? I can definitely say that, you know, the Saturday of the main weekend was not their best performance in front of them leading up to that third period, but, I mean, if Zach doesn't make a couple of those saves early on, that game is 6-1, 7-1 after two. Forget about making yeah. a third-period comeback and making that game interesting. So keep riding it. That's that's it. Yeah, and I think, too, like there's no reason why, even once you get to the playoffs, they split in the playoffs last year. Like I understand some people may want to settle on one guy because that's what most other teams do, but... It, 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 and it gets to a point too where like you're almost throwing a scholarship away if that's what you're doing. If you're not, if you're a team that's not investing two, at least two scholarships in your goaltenders, you're, you're doing something wrong in my opinion. Because again, we all agree it's probably the most important position on the ice. So teams will invest two out of their 18 scholarships into goaltenders to make sure if somebody gets hurt, you got a second one. It, it's really important that that's how that position is structured. To not play one of those guys, especially if they're both playing well, it doesn't 
I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand this like this need to settle on one guy. I, you can do it. If one guy's game goes down the tubes and, and somebody starts to struggle, then yeah, go right ahead. You know, and then and then maybe play with it, give him give him a few games off, uh, a couple of weeks, and then maybe put him back out in, in a situation if it were to call for it or whatever. But like if if they're both doing what they've been doing, which is nine, you know, nine, ten or better as far as save percentages go, I, I don't think there's an issue with playing them both. Like I just think you can just keep doing what's where it's been working now for almost you know a year and a half. Like what <laughs> you said it right off the top. If it's don't if it's not broke, why are we trying to fix it? Like just just keep doing what you're doing. It's been working here for the better part of the last you know fifty games. Yeah, uh, so I I think it'll be interesting. Uh, again, I would expect Hugo to get the start on Saturday, provided he's feeling up up to it. And, yeah, you I would know, agree. He's no longer under the weather. I would expect him to go, and then you know whether Scott continues to fall back into rotation and we see Zach again on Friday next week against Army and then you'd get Hugo again on Saturday afternoon against Bentley or if he's gonna I don't know maybe maybe he flip, flips it uh, flips it up and switches it up on us I mean really the only person who knows that's gonna start the day when you know before the game is Scott and a goaltender so you got two people really <laughs> yeah. that's it yeah uh, a couple other things about last night before we move on to basketball I don't mean to sound like you know the downer here. Did you get the sense that the building was kind of dead last night? Until until yeah. the third. And granted, like it, it definitely, definitely the third. But the caveat they, was the, it wasn't a ton of action in the first two periods either. First right? two periods were a slog. It's a Wednesday night. Yeah. You know, I know there are a couple of teams that are out of town. Men's obviously men's basketball was out of town. They were they were at Ohio State. Women's basketball, I believe, was around, but I mean, you know, it, it's the middle of the week. There, Wednesday night, there are there are classes that go on on campus, so kids might be tied up with that. I mean, it's not it's not as easy to get to the rink on on campus just because there's a game on a Wednesday night as as many people might think it is. Yeah, yeah, I. I... It struck me last night for the first time because, like, the first few games, I, I mean, I, I was wasn't probably paying much attention to it, but I wonder if part of that is the fact that the students are split up now, like they're not one giant group in the sense of like yeah. the, the sections are separated. So, there, I mean, there's still a lot of them though. But where where it really stood out was at the end where, and again, this is I've, I've said this to other people already. It, it it's bothered me that they shoot that way twice. Oh, that they defend that way twice. Like they might be the only honestly, yeah, they might be the nets. they might be the only program in the country where their student section are behind their own goalie <laughs> twice, and yeah. there's a reason for that. And the the last save, like the really nice save by Borgiel, and the, the last save of the shootout to win the game. But what it stood out at that exact moment because here he comes, he's trying to focus, he's got a big save to make, and almost from blue line to blue line down around the net there were students on the glass banging on the glass as it comes and it's like no that should be at the other end you should be making yeah. their goalie feel uncomfortable uh so i i don't know if there's an easy fix to that i feel like just switch it you know put the penalty box on the other side and have, have yeah, swap, shoot that way twice ends. instead of coming <laughs> instead of coming out of the uh the tunnel and taking a right you come out and take a left like you, you would for the start of the second period yeah Again, as much as I said the whole thing with like just because it's never with the goalies, I said just because it's never been done before doesn't mean it's wrong in, in terms of splitting the goalies. Uh, I don't know I, if they're the only ones that <laughs> everyone else has their students behind the opposing goalie for a reason. <laughs> yeah. 
And and I wonder too, like, and I'm not an architect, so I don't know if they can do this or not. But the way that the pavilion's built on the other side, where the seats are elevated and kind of above the glass, I, I was thinking when I was driving home last night, how cool would it be if you could do something like that behind the net on the other side and put the students above the glass? At least some yeah. of them. It'd be know? it'd be a tough it'd be a tough pitch, right? Because the scoreboard is right there too. You or, could probably do you, you know. could you'd have to do it in the corners, almost like with the pavilion. You'd have to keep like the open space for the core, scoreboard. But if you were able to kitty corner a couple, almost like two little tiny balconies in the corner, and now you've got students above the glass a little bit, I think you'd have a similar situation to Northeastern, Alphond, yep, where the students are not only behind the goalie, the opposing goalie, they're but they're up, literally they're on above, top yeah. of them. Like, <laughs> like literally on top of them. Uh, and it would also kind of give the illusion of the building wrapping all the way around, I think, which would kind of look cool too, but... I don't even yeah. know if there's enough room. I'm not an architect. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I can, I can design. Above our pay grade. Yeah, but in my head it looks cool. Like when I imagine it in my in my mind. <laughs> uh, the other thing that was kind of interesting about the game last night too is the fact that it was a shootout. As far as I know, it was the first time they've won a shootout. Not, and I'm not including like tournament shootouts. Uh, but since the rule was instituted th- three years ago, three years ago is when they instituted shootouts. Uh, it's only their third shootout ever, and it's the first one they've won. They lost two shootouts to UNH uh, during the COVID year, but it never won a shootout as a program, which is kind of crazy. Three three years worth of games, it's the first time they've won a shootout. Part of that is because they went through a pretty long stretch of losing games in overtime, you know, almost constantly uh, for <laughs> for two years, uh, which is part of the reason why they never got to a shootout. But yeah, kind of a weird, I mean, just, it was going on last night and I, and I said to somebody next to me, I said, is this the first, I don't remember there ever being a shootout in this building. Like, I think this might be the first one. It wasn't, it was the second, but it was the first one with fans for sure. Yeah. I was going to say, I definitely remember, especially during that COVID year, I remember announcing a shootout to UNH. nobody. It was UNH. Yeah. I looked, Yeah, they played UNH twice that year. Both the games went to shootouts, once at Whittemore center and once at Merrimack. Yep. So, but it was in the first time I they do, won. I do remember those. But it was a cool atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, it's different. I mean, especially at the college level, right? You don't see it as frequently, I feel like, as you do maybe in the NHL. And I mean, even now at the NHL, it's it's still even less. Now they've gone to three-on-three in the overtime format, and they've had that for a handful of years now, too. I mean, you don't see it as much at the college level. It's more of, and you've brought this up, uh, break the puck out of your own end. If you have an odd, odd man opportunity, take it. If not, push the blue line and then regroup if you need it yep that's all it is and we saw we saw a lot of that last night get rid of i am firmly on board the let's get rid of three on three train it's terrible i I like the team get rid of it at the nhl level too because it's the same thing i mean we saw last night there were multiple times where the teams passed it back to their goaltender yeah because the whole idea the whole idea is possess the puck until you get a you know really grade a scoring opportunity so this whole idea, like, when they instituted 3-on-3 three three at the NHL, college just, the NCAA just copied it. But when they instituted it at the NHL level, the, the idea was they're going to just fly up and down the ice. It's just going to be constant chances going both ways. And that's not what has happened at all. It was that way for a little bit until the coaches figured out, oh, no, the, the name of the game here is possess the puck. And like you said, it's just, it's a bunch of regroups. It, it's regroups for five minutes, and then we go to a shootout. That seems to be the way these things mostly go. I, I'd like to see them... Go, leave it at five on five, but go to 10 minutes or something. Like if you really don't want to go to shootouts and you want to break ties, give them a little more time at five on five. Do, but this, I, I'm, I'm kind of over the three on three thing. Even I'd, in the I'd NHL. Even settle, 
I'd settle for four on four. Just go back to what it was. You know, it's four on four. You take one extra body off the ice each side. That opens up a lot of room for players, especially skill guys on on Merrimack, like Macaponi, Alex Jeffries. And you play you know, it a little bit more regularly, I think, too. Yeah, you're more likely to see a four on four situation because of ma- matching penalties during the course of a game than you are. Both teams are taking, you know, you're taking four guys to the box, two pairs of matching penalties, and all of a sudden you're looking at three on three. Like, and you I just think, don't see it. And the thing, too, is like the reason why they don't want to shoot unless it's a really great A opportunity is because as soon as you shoot the puck, you're giving up the puck. You're basically giving up possession. Yeah. Because the likelihood of you being able to shoot the puck with one guy back at the point and then have your two beat their three to a loose puck after a shot, it's, it's not usually going to happen. So teams aren't shooting the puck because they don't want to shoot the puck unless it's an absolute great A opportunity because as soon as they shoot it more often than not, they're going to lose possession. There was a game last year. Where I saw the box score and didn't believe it until I went back and watched it. Uh, there was a game, I, I know it was at UMass, and I don't remember who they were playing. It may have been Lowell. Uh, there was a five on five, a three on three overtime for five minutes where not a single shot was attempted. Like, not just shots on goal. There was not a single shot attempted in the, in the overtime. It was insane. And, and we thought last night's overtime period was kind of bland with. I think the final chances in overtime ended up being like three to one in favor of Merrimack. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. Shots were three to one Merrimack, shots on goal were two to one Merrimack in the overtime. I just I they they gotta figure out something because this is just not working. What do you think of the idea? I mean, I saw this earlier in the week, the idea that they may even do it at the NHL level. Well, I mean they were thinking of doing it at the NHL level, and again, I assume the NCAA would copy this if they were to ever institute it, but almost like a backcourt violation where once you carry the puck beyond the red line, you can't go behind the red line again or else it's a whistle. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly an option. I I'm mean, fine it's with like, it. Like, try, let's try something, because, right? You know, yeah. If you want to, you know, if you want to possess the puck, you know, we're going to limit you to half the ice. You're not going to be able to use the back half. Your goaltender no longer becomes a viable option if you get stuck in a situation between a board the board and a defenseman and you know turning the puck over yeah yeah and i think so, like uh, i think the idea if too they is want to change it sorry if, if they want to change things and and experiment with it fine you know let's at least just see how it looks before we just start saying no 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 to all these different ideas yeah i'd like to see them try it maybe in an exhibition game or something like that do it for the exhibition season one year and i don't even think the idea is a penalty like i would just say blow the whistle and then the other team gets an offensive zone face off Right, like that's yeah. You could do it that way, or I mean, who knows? You could you could do it. You, you, there's different ideas, but I think they got to figure out something to try to open it up a little bit because the the way it's played right now is just not opened up, you know. And I, I've always kind of been of the opinion too. The game's played five on five, so why? Why when we get to overtime are we playing it differently? <laughs> like especially yeah, why, why are we? A drastic drop, too, right? It's yeah. not like you're just taking one body off the ice. You're taking two from each stud. And I guess I get it when the idea was it's going to open things up and it's going to be so much more exciting. Well, that's not what it's become. So, like, why are we still doing it then? <laughs> if It's actually made it more boring, I think. <laughs> Even the NHL games. Like, I think it's become more boring watching the 3-on-3 three three than the 5-on-5. Five five. I'd rather just watch 5-on-5. Five five. Give me regular hockey or give me death, Mike. I agree with you. Uh, Merrimack men's basketball was out at Ohio State last night. It was a busy night in uh, the Merrimack community. Uh, this was actually an interesting game. I don't know how much you saw of this. I was keeping an eye on it during the hockey game, obviously, and then uh, 
had it DVR'd, so I watched most of it again earlier today, and they kept it close for a while without their best player, who's who's out of the lineup. Uh, Jordan Durkak suffered an ankle injury, or looked like an ankle injury, against Maine on Sunday, and it sounds like maybe, I mean, he missed the Ohio State game. I don't know if he'll be back next week, but, I mean, I think it's probably a week-to-week type of thing uh, when you look at how he went down and how he limped off the floor. He limped off the floor under his own power, which is good. Um, but, I mean, still, I, w- I would imagine he's a couple of weeks uh, on the shelf, and he's been their best player by far. This was a four-point game in the second half against an Ohio State team that's not ranked, but they're still a Big Ten team who you know, has a chance to threaten for a tournament spot and everything else. I, I really like the way that they played against Ohio State. I mean, they ended up losing the game, I think, by 24, but it was a four-point game into the second half with a lot of younger guys on the floor, like Bud Clark looks amazing as a freshman point guard. He's kind of running the – especially with Durkak out, he's now running things as, as a freshman in his fourth career game playing at Ohio State uh, and played pretty well. Like, I've, I've been impressed with this group. They're now 2-2. Two and two. Yeah, I, mean, I, I I was able to catch a little bit of the, of the recap earlier today uh, following my, my day at work. But, um, again, ha- not having a guy like Jordan Durkak in the lineup significantly hinders how you want to move the ball on the offensive end of the floor. Um, but like you mentioned, Bud Clark's looked pretty good. He's he's fit in. I mean, he only had eight points last night, a board, one rebound. Uh, he went four of 11 from the field. But, I mean, like you mentioned, they're playing against a bigger, tougher, you know, a higher competition caliber when it comes to yeah. – opponents in Ohio State. I mean obviously they I thought he defended Ten. really well too. Like he's a really good defender. Yeah, I I thought he did look very good last night at, at different points, especially in that first half. I mean they kept it to, it was a six point lead for Ohio State at halftime. Um yeah and then they had cut it to four I think early in the second half, right? It was like th- I remember 35 31 at one point uh I think in the second half. Maybe yeah that, yeah that would have been into the second yep. Early and then Ohio State had like a 16 0 run, you know, kind of Around the 15 minute mark, where where they I think they had a 16-0 run, it opened it up, and that kind of put it out of reach. But still, I mean, I don't know how many people expected them to be in that game with Dirk Hack out. I mean, Dirk Hack's been their best player. I mean, the way I look at it, right? This is a Merrimack team that's used to defending teams in the NEC, teams like FDU, Sacred Heart, you know, Central Connecticut, and now they'll be moving to the MAC. It'll be a little bit higher competition. But I mean, you held a good Ohio State program to 76 points. That's that's a pretty good night at the office if you ask me. 76 yeah. points if you told the coach going in hey coach you're going to give up 76 points tonight. How do you like your team's chances of winning? Uh, I think a lot of coaches would come out, come out of that meeting and, and say you know I, I, I like where we sit I, I if you give up 76 I, you're giving us a shot tonight. Yeah, and I think that's where it starts. Even with Dirk Egg in the lineup, that's where it seems to start, right? With Merrimack, anyway, is defense and the zone and causing havoc. That's what they like to do. Uh, and they did. I mean, they didn't generate as many turnovers, I think, as they may w- would have liked. Uh, but still, they created some bad looks for Ohio State at various points in the game. When Ohio State struggled, it had to do with some pressure and some looks that they were just, I don't think it was the best looks that they wanted, and, and the zone kind of forced them into it. Uh, they got a little more comfortable, I think, as the game went on, especially in the second half. But that's where, like, you know, that's that seems to be the pattern in these types of games for Merrimack is 
They defend, they, they really cause trouble early in these games against the Power 5 programs. They did it with Gonzaga. Remember a couple years ago, the same thing. They only trailed Gonzaga by like six points at halftime. And that was a Gonzaga team that was one of the top teams in the country that year. So, uh, you know, it was, that seems to be the thing, is they can get in there and and get under the opponent's skin for a, at least the first half. And the the second part of that formula that they need is they need to be able to shoot. And if you're if you're shooting well at the same time that you're doing that, now you're beating Northwestern, you know, like they did back in their first D1 year. Uh, and they had some guys – look, they have some guys that can shoot, even with Dirk out. Savage had 20 points last night. You know, He's kind of emerged. He really emerged, I thought, in the second half of the main game and then last night as, as, a, as a shooter for this team. You, you've always seen it in, in glimpses, and, and Joe Gallo said it after the main game on Sunday. Uh, he said you know, he, he's one of the best shooters we've ever had here. And I think you've really you really saw it when Durkak went down, and then last night he shot the ball really well. If he, if he keeps up, if he can play like that and shoot the ball like that, and you've got Clark on the other end who can defend, and you've got Stinson who's kind of a combo guy who can defend really well and be a complimentary player, like those three guards, even with Durkak out, I think is going to keep them competitive against no matter who they play. And I'll be honest with you, like I thought some of the transfers – that they they had down low look good last night too. Like O'Connell had seven rebounds, you know, off the bench. I think I'm not sure if he started or came off the bench. He's been off the bench. He may have started last night, but uh, they've had they've got some size that they've brought in out of the portal that I, I think is going to be able to contribute as they as the season moves on. Like this is a team again that the non conference schedule is always going to be a little up and down, especially when you're playing some more powerful programs. I look at this team and I look at the rest of the NEC and. Yeah, they're, they're going to face some competition from some very good NEC programs, but they should be right in the mix of winning it again. I really, I mean, especially where it doesn't look like Durkak, I mean, Durkak should be back by the time conference play starts, I would think. Like, they're really in good position to challenge for another league title. Yeah, and I mean, they were picked preseason, what, fourth? fourth? I, think. Yeah, I think fourth, yeah. Something like that. I mean, the last thing you want to do is give this group and give this program that's been around and shown that they can win in this conference bulletin board material you know and say oh well hey they lost you know guys that were their anchor last year okay yeah great they did they they lost guys in in ziggy reed and jordan minor and yeah they were the anchors but you're bringing back guys in devin savage and jalen stinson and jordan mccoy and jordan durkak there are other guys here that have been a part of this winning they yeah. know how to do it too. Durkak was emerging so, at the end of last year. Yeah, exactly. He he came onto the scene last year, and I think we saw definitely what he was capable of in that NEC title game. He had a couple of big, big stops on the defensive half of, uh, of midcourt late in that ball game last year against LIU uh, in the NEC title game. If he doesn't make those plays, they don't win that ball game. Yep, absolutely. And, and they don't have a Malik Edmund yet either, who's they're waiting on the waiver decision. They may have him. They may not. But, I mean, if Ed Mead gets the waiver, if he got the waiver before the season started, he's probably starting. <laughs> you know, with, with Durkak out, uh, definitely starting. But, I mean, he's he's probably starting along with Clark. I mean, I, I could see Durkak, Ed Mead, and, and Clark all starting. You know, I mean, they, they've Merrimack's play with three guards. That seems it's not like that's way out of the realm of possibility. And Durkak can can be a guy that can play the small forward spot too. He can kind of be the three and drive as much as he can shoot on the outside. So uh, 
that's another guy that they could insert into this lineup if he gets the waiver approved. I know they're still waiting for it. We'll we'll see what the NCAA rules there. And uh, they have already said, you know, if he doesn't get it, then he doesn't get it. And he has two more years next year and the year after. But if they can, you know, he feels like he can kind of be the cherry on top to <laughs> already a, a pretty good recipe here where if they get him eligible and then they, I mean, that's two of their top players with Dirkak coming back from injury and Ed Mead maybe getting his eligibility on a waiver a team that's already playing well, you could be inserting two of their better players, you know, back in the lineup here over the next couple of weeks, and then I think sky's the limit. Yeah, if if they get Durkak back and healthy enough, which again you've mentioned here on this on this program today that it could potentially only be a couple of weeks, you know, and even if they want to err on the side of caution and say maybe they hold them out, maybe an extra week to give him an extra day or two. He doesn't, he doesn't have a practice in there that he sits out the first conference game of the year, just to give him an extra day, an extra couple of days. And that's, that's better for you in the long run. And then you mentioned it too, Malik Edmead, if he's able to get his waiver and he's able to come back, that adds another cog in the wheel. That is another returner who's been here under Joe Gallo and this staff and, again, knows what the winning culture is here and knows the attitude it takes on and off the court each and every night to win and bring titles back here. And ultimately, we know at the end of this year, if they repeat as conference champs, this year they punch a ticket. Yeah. It's not going to the other team in the visiting locker room this year. The ticket's theirs. Yep. So I think there's a little bit of that, that light at the end of the tunnel that some of these guys saw last year, but couldn't go after and they want to go back and try and get back into the same position they were last march uh one quick thing on the mailbag this week before we wrap up uh dakota mcintosh who was a merrimack recruit signed in the whl uh johnson in an email says hey mike i noticed that dakota mcintosh signed in the whl that makes him ineligible to play at merrimack right uh yes it does so he uh forfeited his ncaa eligibility uh by signing in the whl but uh, from what i was told merrimack actually their relationship as a commit and, and program uh, ended a few weeks ago. I don't think – at the time that he signed with Moose Jaw, I think it was, uh, he was not actually committed. Warriors. I think it was Moose Jaw, yeah. Um, he, but he was no longer committed to Merrimack before he even signed. So uh, that is the story there. So that's that's all I got. And I think Mike, real quick here, yeah. uh, just, just on the uh, WHL note here, right? If uh, – a oh, little – little twist here something that we you don't usually do here on the program if uh, you could choose a route between college hockey and junior hockey which route would you take and which program in the respective side of the u.s college hockey and junior hockey where would you want to where would you want to play if you had your dream chance to sign on and be a junior star or collegiate star okay. uh i mean personally i it's the surprise, surprise. I like the college model. Uh, I just think it it lends itself to a little more of a balanced life. the The junior route is definitely more the pro route, like right away. So I think if you're it, look, there's a reason why like Connor Bedard went that that route. I think because you know he knew he was going to jump into pro hockey right away. So I think that's the advantage there. The college route is the one I would prefer. Like if it were me or if it were one of my kids, I would be like, hey, I, I really would prefer you go the college route and. 
look, I mean, you can't beat Hockey East, right? You're sleeping in your own bed every night, taking buses for the most part. You're not flying yeah. around like you would anywhere else. I mean, that that to me is the biggest advantage of Hockey East is you can, you're on your own campus almost every other night unless you're going to Maine or Vermont. <laughs> Yeah, no, that definitely is a big thing because, I mean, I so for some folks that don't know, obviously, Mike, you know, I spent two years prior to coming to Merrimack up in Canada, and I was around the junior hockey. I was I was in QMJHL territory, so yep. I, I got to see um, Connor Garland when he was playing for the Moncton Wildcats. Um, I'm trying to think of some. Uh, Svechnikov there uh, for the Red Wings. I saw him play when he was in Cape Breton with the Eagles. Um, and I mean, it was just, it was just great hockey. I mean, some of the, some of the names that I see in the NHL now, Daniel Sprong, uh, he's now in Anaheim. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He was in Anaheim. He was on the local team on Prince Edward Island when I was there. So just getting a chance to see, uh, those NHL stars, like I mentioned, Sprong and, you know, a handful of other names, Gar- Garland, when he was in Moncton, Svechnikov, when he was in Cape Breton, it was just, it was, it was a cool experience. Um, but the personally, I would, I would also go the college route as well. I mean, obviously I spent four years at Merrimack, so it's, you know, the homerism is there too as well. Um, but the college venues, there are just there are just so many different places to go and see. And every every building you go into is different. Every student section is different. They have their different chants. Every every game day presentation is different, and it's it's unique. And I think that's what's awesome about the game. Yeah, I know. Talking to other players too, like the guys that have moved on have all said, like once you once you're out of college, like and not playing college hockey anymore, it's it just it's different. Like you don't feel like you're a part of something the way you did when you were in college, like, right. You know, it's kind of, that's, that's the feeling. I think that's why Jordan Seifert wanted to play another year. He was like, what am I in a rush to go play somewhere else for? I'd love to play another year of college hockey. Uh, I think a lot of guys feel that way. I've even talked to guys who have signed early and then have said, you know what? I, I wish I came back for my senior year. Like, I can't believe I gave that up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I look at guys, right. Cause even a few weeks ago, um, guys that have played there for their full time, of college hockey their full four years uh tyler tyler drevich was just at merrimack a couple of weeks ago ahead of the uh the home opening weekend for clarkson and uh st lawrence i saw him poking around the building and he's like dude i miss it you know just being a part of you know all the different atmospheres and being a part of these games and it's probably one of those true sayings and again not to you know go all cliche here but you know from miracle the name on the front's more important than the one on the back and i guess in college hockey in you know regardless of whether it's hockey or any sport that you're playing for you want to represent the the name of the brand on the front of the jersey but i guess when you're playing college hockey and you're representing your institution or you know where you go to school and walk around and see people yeah. on a daily basis the whole it, community it a little bit it. more yeah yeah you know because it is like once even at the minor league level, like once once you get into pro hockey, it's a business at that point, and you can get traded and you can get released, and like it's it becomes a job. It's about you know, a, it's, it's about a, a bottom dollar. Yeah, it's a fun job, but it's still a job. You know, if you're at the NHL level, it really is. But even even in the East Coast league, like you guys are getting traded, and you know, you might not know what you might get released one day because they're signing somebody else. Like it can be, you go through an ECHL roster, they'll go through like sixty guys over the course of a year. <laughs> You know, uh, so you don't ever really feel like you belong to something. I think some guys do like, like Drevich, I think was in Wheeling for a couple of years and became like the community leader down there. And some guys do that. They stick in one market and they kind of embed themselves. I think he's playing with Maine now. 
uh, with the Maine Mariners. But uh, other guys just bounce around because whether that's their own choice or sometimes not, you know, sometimes they're getting released or they're getting traded or whatever. Uh, and it just it's like become a different experience, I think. So I think there's something to be said for that that whole idea of like, you might get it a little bit when you're a juniors too, like if you're playing in a small town and you're the event in that small town. But I mean, that's what most of these campuses are. So if you're, especially in Hockey East, if you're on the on the hockey team and you're going to a hockey school, you know, you're one of the more prominent people on that campus. <laughs> and and yeah. you know that like the community comes out to watch you and your games. And, and there's something to be said for that. You know, I, I think that, that, oh, that that's a cool aspect part of it that, that you maybe get in some junior places, but not definitely not all of them, you know. And we heard we heard Scott bring that up a couple of times last year at different points during the season, especially I remember in his post-game press conference after losing to BU in overtime in the Hockey Championship game, he said it's been a privilege to coach at the institution of Merrimack College, and it's been a privilege to represent the Merrimack community. Yeah. You know, and when you get coaches that come in and embrace it and they know what what they represent that it's something a little bit bigger than themselves in the program it's it's always good to see well Ian uh go rest up the voice we don't want you losing it <laughs> I appreciate Bigelow that, tea and, right uh, we're not sponsored by Bigelow tea but I hear that on the radio all the time Bob Sosi drinks Bigelow I do tea. I do I do hear that Bob Sosi uh good uh good good interview if you've ever had the chance to talk to him I never have I know you have but I never have I have uh well hey Seems to like a you and uh to you and your family, uh, enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday because we probably won't talk again until uh, after Thanksgiving. Or, or are we going to give the folks one more maybe uh, post UMass Lowell weekend and ahead of the uh, turkey leg? Yeah, we, we probably can. I don't know. We'll see what the schedule looks like. I, 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 I should be able to. I mean, I got nothing else going on. I'm just driving my kids around from rink to rink. It's like I'm just an Uber. So Yeah, Uber. <laughs> Dad Uber. That's pretty much all. They don't pay me, though. That's the problem. And they don't tip either. No, they they don't tip. They expect they expect the uh, dad. Where are we getting dinner tonight on the way home? Trust me, I know because I was in the All same the seat. Time. You know, just just a short handful of years ago. I went ballistic you know, was... this morning. That my kids go up to school this morning. It's like six forty-five. My wife teaches at the school, so they all leave together. They all leave. They drive out of the driveway. I'm making a cup of coffee, and I get a text from my oldest that just says, "Dad, trash needs to go down." I'm like what? <laughs> like it's like the one thing I ask you to do. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I thought it was the other way around in this household. Seriously, I didn't I, I I didn't know you paid the bill. I'm like wait. It was like he was telling me like the same way I tell him like hey Ty trash needs to go down. He's like Dad trash needs to go down. I'm like dude, that's not how this works. <laughs> just so just nonchalant. It's it's uh, that's something you would expect him to turn around and say to your brother. Yo, Seriously, dude, like d- trash uh, needs to go down. Just just a heads up, man. Dad. On the totem pole, get on. Exactly. It. Yeah, just a heads up, Dad. <laughs> got got to take the trash down. I'm like. <laughs> That's okay, too funny. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. It's like the one thing I ask you to do, and it doesn't get done. Um, anyway, that's too funny. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, we'll see. We'll see you on. Uh, we'll see you on Saturday, and uh, let's hope for a uh, a good outcome. Let's see. All right. Uh, thanks again, Ian, for the time. As always, we're taking a quick break. We'll be back with Merrimack head coach Scott Bork in a minute. Sage, what about this stick? I like the orange in it. No, mom. What is this? This stick is so dusty. There's no more Genos left in it. I can take it from here, mom. What kind of tweet are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Sally. All right, I got the perfect twig for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick, completely accurate for buy down every time. 
This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey. We speak your language. I'm Cole Caulfield, and I played college hockey. I'm Adam Fox, and I played college hockey. I'm Jake Gensel, and I played college hockey. I'm Johnny Gaudreau, and I played college hockey. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. For more information, visit collegehockeyinc.com. All right, we're joined by the head coach of the Merrimack hockey team, Scott Borg, fresh off of a shootout win over Lowell last night. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the game coming up in a little bit, but first, uh, it was a big week last week. The NLI signing period opened for not only college hockey, but a lot of other sports as well. And the Warriors signed uh, quite a few players at NLIs, and now those recruits can finally be discussed publicly by uh, members of the coaching staff and members of the program. So, Coach, thanks for taking the time, and I, uh, let's, I'm looking forward to running through a couple of these guys that have put pen to paper and, and make their commitments official here. Yeah, no, we're, we're really excited. I, I think it was a good uh, signing period for us. Um, some of the players won't be here immediately because they're going to need another year. Um, the NLI is good for two years. So um, we're excited about the group that signed and then the ones that will be here in the fall and then the ones that will be spending another year in junior when they get here. Um, so I think it's a good group. Yeah, I know you look at kind of the group of 06s that, that, uh, that have now put pen to paper and have signed their NLIs. I know that I've been writing about that group for a while as like this – this is a pretty significant core, and one of the guys that, that stands out right away, there's a lot of them, but one of the guys that stands out right away is Jack Good, who is a forward from St. Andrews, a program that you guys have recruited from a couple of times, have a couple of their alums on the team right now, uh, and he's been committed here for a little bit, but what, what has been, uh, what, what was it about Jack that stood out during the process, and it seems like he's a pretty dynamic offensive player when you look at his numbers uh, last year and especially this year. Yeah, and he is a dynamic offensive player. He was really undersized, which was something that initially, you know, I think held a lot of schools back, including us. Um, but uh, his brain was just so good. And I, I really feel like we overrate certain things about hockey players, and we, we don't probably talk about their brain enough. Um, you know, sometimes a guy looks like he's not moving his feet or his feet aren't that good. It's because his brain got there before his, you know, his brain got him there before your feet got you there. Uh, and that's Jack's one of those guys. He's a really smart player. He can skate, but he's a really smart player. He can play with other players. He can make plays. Uh, he has a real high upside, I believe. And, um, you know, this year he's obviously taken off playing with another really good player on their team. Uh, I think it's Dean Eternal, but, you know, they both can make plays. And Jack is, a high level and doing it at a high pace, which I love. A lot of defensemen in this class, too, and a couple from that New York, New Jersey area. Uh, Cole Longacre's one. Uh, I think first year in the PCHL this year with Salmon Arm, but seems like he's a, a pretty big, probably, I would assume, based on his size, physical defenseman. He is, and he can play offense, too. Uh, Cole was at Sioux City last year. Uh, I never felt like he got enough of an opportunity. I'm actually friends with the coach. I love to hear that comment. <laughs> uh, but I didn't think they gave him enough of an opportunity. If you're going to have an 06 in your program, you've got to give him a chance to play. And he played, but, but limited minutes, made the decision this year that maybe it was his best interest to um, go, go to the BCHL. And Sam and I has been a great fit. Uh, he's earned some really you know, quality ice there. 
Uh, his confidence is starting to come back at a higher level, and I think he's going to have a really good college career. Uh, he just does, He's one of those players I think he can play on both sides of the puck and, and be equally successful. Well, he's uh, from New Jersey, kind of from the same area, from New York. Another big defenseman, Eric Cald, 6'3", 198 is what he's listed at. And, again, uh, I would think they, they kind of feel like – I mean, I've – I've seen them on video, so I haven't seen a ton of these guys yet, but they feel like very similar players, Cald and Longacre. You know, it's funny, uh, both very different tracks. So, uh, you know, Cole's been a player for a long time, and people have known about him, and, you know, he was on everybody's list. Uh, Eric really emerged last year, and he's really coming to his own, right? I believe he has a chance to have a real high upside, um, and he's in Cedar Rapids now. They've been very happy with him. I don't think he'll stay there because he's loyal to his midget team, but uh, he will likely, um, you know, be there next year. And I, you know, he's done a, he, he's really calm. He's one of those players you love because he, he hasn't always been on the best teams. He hasn't always been a guy who's been highly uh, rated, uh, but he is now when he's going to continue to get these games going to continue to grow. And I think it's going to be pretty exciting where he ends up. David Green's a defenseman out of Ontario who feels like a little bit like he's come out of nowhere uh kind of really came into his own this year it seems like and i know i just saw him he was on the players to watch list by nhl central scouting for the draft this summer a lot of these guys were uh, in fact i think uh, i wrote at the time that the number of players on that watch list by central scouting which doesn't necessarily mean anything but there were so many players on that list this year it was the most that i believe merrimack has ever had in one draft year but green is another guy who was was there being kind of looked at as a potential NHL pick and uh, feels like he's really come into his own maybe the end of last year and then certainly the beginning of this year. No doubt. And, you know, it's exciting because, first of all, uh, Ontario, where he's coming from, at one time was an ex- excessively fertile ground for recruiting for Merrimack. Uh, so when, that, when you have that situation, it means you have a lot of alums in that area too. Um, and so we were excited, number one, to get a player like David, uh, but number two, uh, I love where he's coming from, and I love what he can do for the future of the program. Uh, just getting a stamp back up there. He'll be one of the best players in the league. I'll be shocked if he's not on Canada East um, and in the Junior A Challenge. So I, I think his game is going to continue to grow, but I love where he's coming from because I think that can help uh, help us in a lot of ways. couple of forwards. By the way, I, I think I said this at the top, but if uh, people are wondering, because obviously I've reported on a lot of names, the coaching staff can't commit or can't comment on any of these guys until they've officially signed their NLI. So there's some guys that I'm going to skip over, uh, but a couple of forwards that I know have signed uh, who have had big impacts or will have big impacts. Luke Oakler's one, uh, not the most traditional hockey path. I think he's from Georgia, right? Right from the Nashville junior predators uh, is going to be a Cushing this year. Already had a cup of tea with the development program, got called up, scored a goal against Cornell that weekend too. Uh, It really seems like he's on the path to being, an impact forward potentially as soon as he arrives. Uh, it will be interesting. Um, the, the amazing thing about Lucas, he, I love the route he took. He wasn't in a rush. You know, I remember going to watch him play last year in a game here in the, on the East coast. And, you know, the, it was a terrible hockey game. Uh, and I, I shouldn't say it like that, but it was certainly not a triple a hockey game. It's probably a better way to say it. Um, but he was so loyal to his team. He wanted to be on, play for that team, the Junior Preds. It's who he, you know, he'd been with that program for a little while. I wanted to kind of finish his run there. Then this year, he has opportunities to play in junior hockey for certain. Um, and especially after the Select Festival, 
And, you know, he says no, because he committed to Cushing Academy. And that's a really smart move by a young player to go someplace where he's going to be able to play in special situations, where he's going to be a go-to guy, where he's going to be a guy who drives their success um, all year. And that's, that's a great, great development opportunity. Um, so I'm really, I mean, he's a very talented player, but I'm equally as happy with the decisions he's made on his development path that I think brings him to Merrimack and gives him an opportunity to be impactful quickly. Yeah, not not to put too much pressure on the kid, but, I mean, it sounds like a similar story to Alex Jeffries, right, where maybe had some other opportunities to do some other things and but decided to stick with commitments he had made and, and stick to the path that he wanted to forge, and obviously it's worked out pretty well for Alex, I'd say. Yeah, no, and I, you know that's a tough comparison. Obviously, yeah, I was going to say having it's, that success right now, <laughs> putting, putting a ton but, of pressure but, on the kid, but <laughs> but nothing would surprise me with him. And you know, he's one of those guys. I think he's going to. Some people are probably not because they only recruit the traditional areas, or you know, he's not uh, a huge name on the radar. But he will become a huge name on the radar uh, once this prep school season starts in full. Um, I, you know, my prediction is everybody's going to know who he is. That's why it was so important to make sure that he was, you know, signed and committed because, um, you know, I, everything happens in recruiting now and you didn't, we didn't want to lose him either. Uh, another forward who I know, it's funny, I got a text from John Buchigross as soon as this kid committed with, hey, my new favorite player, uh, Gryphon Bucci commit, committed. He's from yeah. Ontario. Uh, is playing out in the BCHL this year, also in 06, again, part of that big 06 group. Uh, what have you seen from him? Well, he played at the Boston Hockey Academy last year, um, uh, which was at Batignon. And, uh, again, another player who had an opportunity to leave there a year ago. He played before his junior year of high school. No, sophomore year. great year and was recruited by a number of different places to play uh, junior hockey for them. Decided he wanted to stay and be loyal to his team. He did that for his junior year. This year, obviously, Matt Young closed his doors, so that particular you know iteration of that program was gone, uh, and it was time for him to move on, he, and he went the trail. Uh, but, again, I love the path he's chosen, and I love the way he's gone about his business. Uh, he can make plays. He can skate. Um, and he's, he's, it has not, the game hasn't always been easy for him. And I think that's an important element for guys growing through it, uh, cause they can arrive and, you know, it's always good to have a guy arrive with a little bit of a nick in his armor because that guy just seems to play a little bit harder. And, uh, and I think Griffin will do that. Uh, so those are the O sixes that have signed so far. A couple of the guys that have signed last year, though, that have, that have had bigger strides this year. I wanted to talk about two, several of those O fours, uh, JJ Wybush is one. It seems like he's had a real big start to the year uh, out in Sioux Falls offensively. I mean, it's always hard, I think, when guys go to the USHL, right? They're always kind of filling a little bit of a different role. You never know what they're getting for minutes, especially if they're on a lower line. But uh, this year, you know, as a 19-year-old, he seems to have taken on a, a, a much more offensive role, and the, and the numbers have, have indicated that. Yes, and he's, you know, he's rapids last year, and his minutes were limited, you know. And, and uh, one of the things that's the USHL is a great league, but one of the things about the USHL is they coach the players that have them for multiple years. So they want to have them for two years, you know. So you put a young player in that league, it's very rare, unless they have to, because it's going to impact wins and losses, that he's going to get top six minutes. And J.J.'s a top six forward in that league, which, make, which translates into a very good forward in college hockey. 
Um, and moving to Sioux Falls has been really good for him. It's put him in situations that he'll very likely be in college. Uh, again, another player that I would describe him, my first thing about him would be making plays. He makes the players around him better because he gets the puck to guys in, in good space. Uh, and he can, when he's given it, uh, playing almost exclusively outside this on the wing this year, played a lot of center prior to this. So he gives us a little versatility as well. Uh, Von Uhas is another player from Medicine Hat, Alberta, played in the Alberta League, but again, seems like another player that's taken a, a pretty big step here from last year to this year. Well, it is important for him because he played with Ty Deneau last year, and Ty had 42 goals. So playing with Ty and, you know, at center, you're, you're going to get some points, right, because he's going to put pucks in the net that you put on his stick. Um, but he's done a really good job this year as well. You know, now not with his buddy, uh, just having to make do with, with different lines and different situations. Their team hasn't been off the start they were a year ago. Um, but he's played through. He's the captain. I lo- As you know, I've, we've talked about it before. I love guys with letters on their sweater because it just tells you something about who he is. Uh, and he's the captain of that team. He's a second-year player. So we're really excited about Vaughn. Um, I think that he'll bring a lot of things, but his leadership as well will be something we'll, we'll lean into. Uh, and then another, the last 04, uh, who I think just recently signed as a defenseman, Nathan King. Again, <clears throat> when you look at the D, I'm seeing a lot of size. I mean, that seems to be an indicator. Again, uh, 6'2", 193, playing for Victoria in the BCHL. Uh, what have you seen from him? And, and was size something you guys are looking for on D as you recruit? Because it, it seems like a lot of these defensemen are 6'2", 6'3", some even bigger. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny. It wasn't actually anything we ever spoke about. It did happen to be that a lot of the guys that we liked were in that range. Um and in, including him, you know, I, and Nathan can hammer a pocket play as the best one timer in the BC league, uh, which is, as you know, because of how guys block shots now, getting pucks off, it helps you get it through. So having a one timer will, he'll help us, you know, probably on the power play, but it'll also help us five on five. Uh, he skates very well. Um, he's coming on quite quickly. Uh, and I, we're, you know, it's funny. We've kind of had to readjust. Um, but we were thinking about his time frame about coming in because he's really playing very well. He's one of the best defensemen in that league today, um, and he's going to be an important piece when he arrives. And we were originally probably thinking of him playing another year. Uh, that's something that that's a conversation that may go in a different direction later on this year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know that that stuff can all be kind of a, a bunch of moving pieces. Um, looking ahead a little bit, obviously, we're fresh off the, the game against Lowell last night. You have them coming up again on Saturday. Uh, I don't know if you feel any different. Sometimes right after the game, you, it just, it's real reactionary when we kind of ask you what you saw. Uh, kind of 24 hours removed from it now. Uh, do you have a different take on how that game went last night, or was it pretty much the same? Was it pretty much just trying to, as you're going to Saturday, continuing what you were doing well there in the third period? You know, I, I was... Watching the video, again, I, I, I'm on the bench, and I'm thinking that we're about 10, 10 seconds from disaster the entire game. <laughs> and uh, when I watched the video, it was much more relaxing. I think we had a five-on-five. Five, we uh, had a ton of chances. Didn't finish. Give their goaltender credit. Give their defense credit. Not letting us get the second opportunities. Um, and, and they're a hard team to play against. And getting as many chances as we had – is that, especially in the second half of the game, is very hard to do against Lowell and speaks very well for our guys. Um, 
But I think we, we've become, and it's not intentional, by the way. I think you know me well enough to know this. Uh, we've become a, a pretty good transition team. Um, and we created we've, most of our chances out of transition. I don't think that's long-term successful for us. Um, I'm talking about this season, uh, being that kind of a team. So, you know, I want to see us get a little heavier, possess a little bit more. You know, I, I think that we talked about as a team that, you know, our numbers of, as far as the scoring chances we're committing with the possessions that we have speak really highly of our team, but we need more possessions so that we're not playing defense as much as we are. And that's, I, you know, something that I think in our defensive end yesterday, again, we were better, but not as good as we need to be. And we got to continue to grow that part of our game. Part of that's our breakout and part of that's our face-offs. And those are two areas that we worked on today that we need to get better at. We know that because uh, we're, we're giving up chances because of those two parts of our game. Um, but I, I was really watching the video. I was really happy with our team and very – you know, I think we were unlucky um, to be in a position we were at the end of the game down by one uh, shorthanded, you know. So uh, I was happy with the game and happy that we were able to get it done. Yeah, it was funny because even last night I thought it, and then I, I went back and just over the course of getting work done today, you know, rewatched some of the game, had it on while I was sitting at my desk. And it seemed like, you know, yeah, Lowell had more shots, but you guys probably had more scoring chances. That's how, the way it felt last night. You know, that even though they definitely had more possession in the first 30 minutes, the first period and a half or so, uh, you guys would get kind of quick chances out of transitions, which were almost better score. I mean, Tyler Young probably had three or four of them. It felt like it <laughs> at various points last night. So uh, I, I agree. You obviously want to see put a little more possession, but still were, was able to generate chances kind of when you had the opportunity to, I guess. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny because I, uh, I don't want to be the master negative and say, oh, this is a problem. But, you know, I think it's a huge um, – what it says to me is that it's a really big possibility if you can create offense. And transition is not easy offense. There's no such thing as easy offense, I guess. But, you know, of the two, possession offense versus transition offense, I feel like transition is a little bit easier if, you, if you're good at it uh, because people are out of position. No one's leaning on you. It requires mostly transitions about what you do, not what they do. Um, and the fact that we can create scoring chances at the rate that we have almost all season in that piece of our game, that's new for us. We didn't do that last year. Uh, we have never done that since I've been here. But we're doing it now. I just don't want us to rely on it. Uh, because, again, possession is a tiring way to play. Like, Maine beat us because our defensemen got tired over a six-period weekend because of their possession time. Had nothing to do with their trend. They didn't even try the chance yesterday. They just dumped the puck in. Um, and so that's an area that we, we want to continue to grow our game. And I think if we can, then offensively, we can become a really good team um, and then continue to work on the back, playing defense, obviously. All right, Coach. Well, uh, good luck on Saturday. Merrimack Lowell, Saturday night at the Songa Center, finishing up the series. Uh, best of luck Saturday night. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it.